If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 99 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on June 6th, 2021. Another new month, and month three already of the 2021 baseball season. Now, Yapping Yankees is being brought to you by, obviously, myself and Ball 9. Ball 9 brings you some of the best, absolute best baseball content out there. Any and all baseball stories, articles, roundtable discussions, featured baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and much, much more. Visit the website, guys. I promise you that you'll be very, very happy that you did. That's Ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball9, and know what you don't know. And also, guys, help to spread the word about Yapping Yankees, but also at the same time, stay updated on everything with both me and the Yankees, and you could do all that by following me on all social medias. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY, follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero, and on Instagram at Mike Scuds. 97. And remember to subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees. Show it some love on all four of the platforms it's available on. And those, of course, are YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Episode 99. One away. Just one away from 100. Holy crap. (laughs) I honestly can't believe it. Seriously. To think that two years ago, from right about now, about two weeks or so after graduating college, I was getting ready to start up this show, which has been so much fun these last two years. And obviously, over the years, it's been made even better by all of you. I mean, I'm sure some of you have listened since the start, some maybe somewhere in the middle, or maybe some of you were just hopping aboard just now. And regardless of which category you fall under, I'm obviously so glad to have you, and I hope you have enjoyed or continue to enjoy. But it's just surreal. It's just so surreal. I was thinking about it all week, that we're just one week away from episode 100. The century landmark, as they call it. Just absolutely wild. So, how we doing today, my friends? Oh, me? Eh, you know. Other than watching an extremely important week of Yankees baseball, in which my team's inept and underachieving offense continued to mostly come up completely short in degrading and humiliating fashion, leading to some more infuriating and embarrassing losses, I'm great. Take all that in. (laughs) Uh, It's so pathetic. (laughs) Last night, after yet another shamefully embarrassing loss to our arch-rivals, the Red Sox, in our own building which of course makes things even more humiliating. I just sat there and legitimately said to myself, seriously, I said, you know what? To this point, 
And I know there's plenty of baseball left to play, 103 left before tonight's game against the Sox starts. I understand. Just save it, all right? I don't want to hear it. But I told myself, to this point, I can confidently say that I had more fun watching the overachieving 2013 and 2014 Yankees teams when guys like Kevin Euclid and Lyle Overbay saw the cleanup spot in the lineup. And that is really sad. Want to go by the numbers too? Because even statistically, this is the worst Yankee offense in nearly every single offensive category that not only I've seen, not just in my time as a fan since 07, but in my lifespan since I was born in 97, and in the lives of some people who are 40 to 45 years of age. Take that in too. Bunch of underachievers. I've been saying it all week. Bunch of underachievers. It's sad because we know what this team is capable of. We know what they are on paper. But the difference between what we know they can be on paper and what's been happening in reality? There's not even a word for it. We've been talking about this offense since the beginning, guys. Even in the times of winning, although it's easier to deal with when they're winning because, well, they're winning. But now it's the beginning of April all over again these last couple of weeks with, again, no sign of a turnaround. So as you probably thought before you clicked play on this episode today, we've got a lot to unpack today and a lot to be pissed off about yet again. So enjoy. We'll start with this week's social media segment, as always. Got a poll for you today. And then we'll go over this past week's news and recap the games. Got some roster updates, as usual, as well as a couple of injury updates on Kluber and Voigt. And, of course, we'll recap this past week, which, as we all know, reeked of sorry-ass offense. So what do you say we get to it? Let's have some fun. (laughs) Oh boy, this week's poll question is, it's now the beginning of June. Do you believe the offense just is what we've seen at this point, or will it come around? And of course, comment your thoughts for a chance at having your reply read on the show today. And of course, as you heard it within the question, the two choices are, one, it'll stay this way, or two, they'll come around. So, as I said before... I know there's a lot of games left, guys. I know there are a lot of games to play. 103 to be exact, coming into tonight's game against the Red Sox, where the Yankees are looking to avoid a sweep at home. (laughs) But, to be honest, I have a lot of difficulty with this question, because I try to remind myself just how many games there are left to play. But, at the same time, I've just never seen a worse Yankee offense in my life. And as I said in the intro, when I was screaming my head off, A lot of people who are in their 40s have never seen such a bad Yankee offense. This is like some of the worst production offensively we've seen since like 71 or even going back to the 60s, the dark ages of Yankee baseball back in the late 1960s. It's it's all-time kinds of bad. The double plays, the base running blunders, the underachieving from top to bottom in this lineup It goes back to what we said in the introduction. We came into this year 
looking at this Yankee team on paper. And what were most of us, or maybe even all of us, saying when we looked at this team on paper and we know what they're capable of? That this should be the best team in the American League. The best team, not just in our division, the American League East, but in the American League. And on paper, you feel that way because you know, top to bottom in this lineup, what they're capable of if they play to their potential. But there's just one big monkey wrench in this, guys, is they're not playing to their potential. They're underachieving like crazy. You go up and down the lineup. You look at DJ LeMahieu in the leadoff spot. Not nearly what he's been in the past two years, in 2019 and 2020. This is not the same DJ LeMahieu whatsoever. Still fine with the glove. He's still making good plays out in the field, as you expect. But the hitting has majorly regressed. And I'm not saying it's definitely going to stay that way because we know what DJ's capable of. Anything could happen. And it's easier to feel that way with him because of how much of a savior he was to this team in 2019 and 2020. But so far, it's been really tough to watch him hit. He just has not been the same guy. He can't seem to elevate the baseball anymore, just hitting ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. Not to mention his strikeout rate is way up too, and he's not the same hitter with runners in scoring position either. And that's really how he knew DJ, in a big moment, in a clutch spot. You expect him to come through for this lineup and get hits with runners in scoring position, which the Yankees have unbelievably struggled at. That's usually his forte. He's a catalyst for this lineup, and now that he's quiet, you see the impact that his underachieving is having on this team. Because even he is not hitting with runners in scoring position. It is brutally impacting this lineup. John Carlos Stanton, except for those two or three weeks or so where he was on an absolute tear, and that was great to see, he continued to get injured, and he's just ice cold again. And this part that I'm about to say is at least mostly the Yankees' fault and just the way that they manage him, but also at the off days that they give him sometimes, even if they are claiming to ramp him up again, he's a designated hitter. He goes up there to swing the bat and then goes back into the dugout. And you feel the need to give this guy a day off every other day, even if he just came off the injured list. How is he supposed to find any sort of rhythm to get back into his groove that way? And you also decide not to get him any minor league at-bats or anything for rehab on his way back from the quad injury. And now you see how awful he's been at the plate since then. His timing's off, his balance is off, everything's off. So that's really the Yankees' fault, as I just said. But still, other than those two or three weeks on the whole, John Carlos Stanton, underachieving. Aaron Judge has been fine. Gio Urshela, he's been fine most of the time. But even lately at the plate, he's been in a skid. He's just fine with the glove, as you expect. Even last night, made another phenomenal play when he was hugging the line down at third base, and he ran to his right, gloved the ball, and then did an unbelievable spin throw from foul territory perfectly to first base. So, with the glove, he's just fine. And Glaber Torres just hit his third home run last night, but that's the thing. And you guys know I'm not all about home runs, not by any means. I do like them, and I think they're important for them to get, especially the Yankees, because they rely on it so damn much. And you expect it out of the Bronx Bombers, but look at Glaber Torres. All of his numbers are down, but especially the home runs, you look at him. This is a guy who two years ago hit 38 home runs in a year. 
Last year in the shortened season, even though he got off to a slow start because they said he was in bad shape, but even when he was playing last year, he only hit three home runs. And now this year, even more so in 2021, it's June 6th. We are over two months in and he has three home runs and he only hit the third one last night. Where did this guy's power go? Where did his hitting go? Underachieving. We all know what he's capable of, but he's not performing to a fraction of what we know he's capable of. Underachieving. And forget about six through nine in the order, whichever order Aaron Boone thinks of putting together six through nine day by day, but six through nine in the batting order has produced at an all-time low level for the Yankees, usually no matter who's out there. Miguel Andujar, although he botched a ball in the outfield last night, I've overall been pretty happy with what we've seen out of him in the outfield. He looks pretty comfortable. At the plate, with the exception of a home run here and there, not really doing much. Brett Gardner, we all know what my thought was when they brought him back in the winter. I was saying that he cannot play every day because he just doesn't have it in him anymore. And unfortunately, because of the team's circumstances in the outfield, it mandates that he plays almost or basically every single day. And he's getting exposed at the plate. He's getting exposed. And it's unfortunate because you guys know how much I love and respect Gardner for all the loyalty and dedication he's had to this organization since he first came up in 2008. But my God, watching him get exposed on this team playing nearly every single day because of the situation the team is in with the outfield is enough to drive you nuts. And it really makes you feel like, in case you didn't already feel this way, that it is time for Brett Gardner. It's time to retire. Luke Voigt, of course, he's hurt again. God knows how long he's going to be out with that oblique strain of his. Just the production at first base overall this year has been non-existent with everything they've tried. Luke Voigt in the short time that he was back before injuring his oblique. Mike Ford. I know DJ's gotten a good amount of time down there too, but... My God, first base has just been dreadful for this team this year. Now, Chris Giddens is here, and we'll get into talking about him later in recap, but he only just made his Major League debut yesterday, so there's a lot more to see with him. Gary Sanchez, I mean, need I say more? We've been over him so many times, I'm just tired of talking about it. The hitting, the base running mistakes, it's just, it doesn't even need to be discussed anymore. We've been over all of it. Kyle Higashioka, he's taken a dive offensively. And I'm just being honest, but he's even had his tough nights defensively. And this will be the last one I mentioned, but Clint Frazier. My God, Clint Frazier. I don't think there's a better example out there as far as disappointment and underachieving than Clint Frazier. I really don't. Especially after last year in the shortened season. I know it was a shortened season, but given the season that he had and the maturity that he went through, it really seemed like he was ready to take that next step and take left field and run with it. Be an everyday outfielder be the solid hitter that we've seen he could be at times, and also see the improvement that he made defensively and the growth that he even made with himself with his maturity. And look what's going on this year. Complete negative turnaround in all aspects. I know he's had some nice diving catches, but you want to know something? Not all those diving catches needed to be dives. And the way he settles under some fly balls still makes me feel a bit uneasy. Now, is he as bad in the field now as he was back in 2019, for instance? No, he's not. He's better. But he's still not fantastic. And he does things that not only could get him very hurt with some of the dives he makes, and some are very impressive, but some still don't need to be made. 
And he still makes you feel uneasy with the way he settles under some fly balls. And forget about at the plate. Oh my god. Forget about at the plate. The hitting is just abysmal. And I'm not singling anybody out. I'm just going up and down the lineup and telling you what it is. That's it. I'm telling you like it is. And if you don't like it, tune out. But, again, the hitting, the double plays, the popping up, the striking out especially. Oh my god, looking at the fastballs right down the plate. How much of a problem has that been with Clint throughout the season? It's been terrible. But again, a lot of his problems have been the overall team's problems, and they've stunk at the plate. Like I said in the introduction to the show, some of the worst offensive numbers in nearly every offensive category that we've seen in decades out of the New York Yankees this year. The complete and utter lack of hitting with runners in scoring position, even the decrease in home runs, the double plays, the whole deal. And you want to know something? That has an effect on the rest of your game too, particularly on defense, which we've also seen plenty of this year. And it also takes form in other aspects too, like boneheaded base running. It just messes with the whole thing. It throws the whole balance off. And right now, it continues to be a mess these last couple of weeks, just as it was in the beginning of April. And I'm not sure about a turnaround. I'm really not. I know this has been a whole tirade I've gone off on, but I'm just telling you all of it, just giving you the whole background. I have my doubts. And when I talk about this and I get all fired up about how these guys are underachieving because I too know what these guys are capable of and I watch these guys just not getting it done and it drives me nuts, then I have people on the internet like Twitter saying, oh, you know, all these people just flipping out about this. You got to relax. You got to chill. Don't tell me to relax. I happen to sit here every single week and every day on the internet to my followers and otherwise talking about these guys. And I am fortunate to be able to sit here every week and have the privilege to now get paid to talk about them each and every week from a great company like Ball9. And I understand that not everybody has that ability, content creator or otherwise. But regardless, in any event... And I think I speak for all or almost all of content creators when I say this. When we routinely talk about this team, when we sit somewhere in front of a microphone or in front of a camera or in front of a piece of paper or, you know, a Microsoft Word document when you're writing, in any form of media, when you sit down and talk about something that you love and are passionate about and you partially or totally make a living based on that subject... You'll have to excuse us if we get a little fired up about it. I love the Yankees no matter how much they drive me nuts and no matter how many times I go on the internet and say I hate this team, partially comedically. But no matter how many times I say that, I still follow this team because I'm very passionate about them. And I'm also a content creator that sits here in front of a microphone talking about them weekly. So you'll have to excuse me again if I get a little fired up talking about them when they go out there and they suck. And again, I think I speak for most of or all content creators, no matter which subject it's about, when I say this. You care about something, you get in front of a microphone and talk about it every day or every week, and you're very passionate about the subject, and whenever something goes bad, whenever something happens that you don't like, and it really pisses you off, you're going to get fired up. And you should get fired up. So forgive us if we do. And the last thing we need is people telling us to relax. 
Not to mention I'm doing a freaking show here, and part of doing a show is entertaining the masses. And my fans also happen to love when I rant, so I don't know what to tell you. Oh, I don't know where that came from, but I just... <laughs> In case you guys are just wondering... As you can see, there's a lot of frustration in me these last couple of weeks, and I'm just getting stuff out at this point. But let's steer the show <laughs> back on course to the poll question. Do I think that this offense is just what we've seen at this point? Like, it is what it is, and it'll stay that way? Or will they come around again, like I said before? I go back and forth on this. But, like I said, even in the times of winning, we've seen them score very few runs, but there's a big difference with that, and it's easier to deal with because they're winning games, and the ultimate goal is to win. But right now, they're not winning. So, we haven't seen much of a change in this offense over two months into the season, despite the fact that there is a lot of baseball left to be played. That's the one thing that you can keep in the back of your mind and try to tell yourself, well, they'll come around eventually because how can they not, given their potential and how much season there is still left to play, and you're not completely wrong about that. But what have we seen as evidence to show that this offense can turn it around? Not much yet. And as we've established, things are at an all-time low in nearly every offensive category for this team. So honestly, guys, even though some of you may expect me to say, ah, oh, you know, they'll come around, they'll come around. I've said that basically to this point, except for the last two weeks, all throughout the season. I'm a patient guy. But right now... Next week will be in the middle of June already, and if this week is still miserable offensively, I'm going to continue to lean this way that I'm about to say now for this question today. I'm starting to think that they're going to stay this way for the most part. They'll, of course, have their good days where they go out there and score 7 to 10 runs. That's inevitable. It's a 162-game season, and no matter how crappy any given offense is, they're going to go out there and kick ass some days. But on the whole, I think that it's mostly just going to stay this way. And that's really sad because who came into this season thinking that? That the pitching would be as much of a strength as it has been and the offense would be this dreadful. And I'm talking about this dreadful. And if you want to tell me right now that you came into this 2021 season saying that the offense was going to be this bad, I understand there are people out there that have never liked this offense. They just don't think it's meant for the playoffs. They don't think it's meant to win a championship and whatever. Right now, so far, you've been correct. They haven't won anything. But if you came into this season, if you tell me right now, you came into the 2021 season thinking that this offense was going to be this bad, I'm sorry, I think you're lying straight through your teeth. Because no one saw this Yankees lineup throughout this season for this long of a stretch doing this badly. No one. Maybe some saw it having its rough days or not doing too great, but not full-on sucking and underachieving like this. And do I see it coming around on the whole? I'm not so sure, guys. I'm leaning towards no, honestly. We're almost in mid-June already. It's getting late early, as Yogi used to always say, and as many people have brought up that quote. But it's the truth. And it seems like most people agree with me, because after all the votes that came in on Twitter, 58% of the voters said that they think it will stay this way on the whole. And the remaining 42 said that they will come around. So it's not too far of a difference, but what I'm leaning towards is the victor on Twitter for this week. So let's see what you guys had to say down in the replies, because I'm looking at the time right now, and my God, we're already over 20 minutes in. <laughs> 
God, that tirade I went on, it just ate up a lot of time. All right, let's get going. Up first, we have Rob at Laker477. And Rob says, While their play to this point has been embarrassing and infuriating, they will come around. As a Yankee fan, I absolutely refuse to believe otherwise. No, that's fair enough, Rob. You know, I'm not going to blame anybody for being optimistic. (laughs) You guys know that I welcome a lot of optimism on this show, but the way I'm leaning, that's just the way I'm leaning given what I've seen for over two months now. On the whole, it's just been pathetic underachieving. And that's just how I feel about it. But hey, listen, if you want to believe that they will come around and look like the Bronx Bombers of old, then more power to you, man. More power to you. Let's keep going. Up next, we have Spencer, at Musician DMD. And Spencer says, I don't foresee every or most New York Yankees batters getting consistently hot at the same time. This season doesn't feel like 2000. For example, where the team was barely 500 by the All-Star break, but still won the World Series. This season feels like 08, 2013, and 2014. Too many challenges to overcome. Yes, Spencer, and I don't blame you for feeling that way. And I even said in the introduction, I really sat down on the couch last night as I was watching the Red Sox take it to the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. I was telling myself, I think I've legitimately had a better time watching the overachieving 2013 and 14 teams, just like you're saying, when guys like Euclid and Overbay and Vernon Wells were batting cleanup. And that's really sad because those were bad teams that overachieved and still won like 85 games apiece. But yeah, this just doesn't feel like 2000. You're right. I was only three years old, so I wasn't watching at that time. But of course, I do know Yankees history very well. And in 2000, they were looking pretty bad by the All-Star break and they still won. But like you said, yes, this just has a different feel to it. It just does. Even that year, they didn't have some of the worst offensive numbers in every single offensive category than they have in the history of the entire franchise. And do as many stupid things as these guys do. The base running, the double plays. I mean, the strikeouts we always expect to be there with the Yankees, but even with guys who typically didn't strike out a lot in the past, their strikeouts are up. And the defense, too, a lot of the time. It's just a disaster. And even with the managing aspect, whether it come from guys like Boone or Cashman or other higher-ups in the organization, or the analytical people, whoever it's coming from, between the days off, the platooning decisions, I mean, even when hitters are hot, you want to know today what your reward is for being hot? A day off. It's, it's just things that I don't fundamentally agree with, and that's a major problem. Because the Yankees just don't play fundamentally sound baseball. And that's just the truth. It really is. And if you don't like that, well, tough crap. Because that's the truth. And I'm here to tell you like it is. Not to sugarcoat anything. But yes, Spencer, I totally hear you. Up next is at DStewart267. And they say, Little will change as the roster is poorly constructed. Worst hitting lefty team statistically. Unathletic, low IQ, Two right-handed, one-dimensional. In Sherman's Post article, an executive of a team says, They're not daunting. Give me righty starters with plus stuff, and I feel comfortable. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's basically correct. The lefty hitting on the team has been abysmal. In a lot of ways, they do appear unathletic. The low IQ with a lot of the stupid things they do, absolutely. Two right-handed? I mean, listen. 
I've acknowledged that balance in a lineup is good. You want to have a lot of lefties, you want to have a lot of righties, you want to have a good balance. But honestly, as long as they're performing up to par, as long as they're capable hitters, if you have a healthy balance in your lineup as far as contact and power and just capable overall hitters, it shouldn't matter too much if you have a few more righties than lefties. It really shouldn't. But between how horrendous lefties have done and how much the righty hitters have just completely underachieved and vanished, then it starts to look one-dimensional. It does. And if I'm an opposing team, I'm feeling comfortable pitching to this lineup right now. What are they going to do? Hit a home run? Even those are down. Because all they're doing is leaning back on their swing and trying to uppercut and hit a home run every time. And guess what? They're not hitting home runs. And their approaches don't seem to be changing. All right, up next is at NY Yankee Chick, and they say this is basically the same lineup the Yankees ran out last year, and they were super streaky. I don't know why anyone is surprised it's the same deal this year. Well, streaky's one way to put it. I mean, <laughs> this year the bad has considerably outweighed the good, and last year, even though they didn't finish well and they went through their bad stretch, a lot of people could argue that that stretch would have gone away eventually because it was just a 60-game season. So if you went through a bad stretch of even 15 games, well, guess what? Last year, 15 games was a quarter of a season. <laughs> so that's emphasized a lot more and really focused in on. But even last year in that shortened season, I felt like the Yankees went through much better stretches and longer stretches where the Yankees really just were doing their thing. They were doing well. But then, unfortunately, they didn't finish off too well, which resulted in them not having a good record, ultimately. And this year, we're two months in, and I would say that the bad has considerably outweighed the good, while last year, even though it was a shortened season, the good outweighed the bad for a longer time. So, hopefully you can understand my thought process on that. Up next is at DBYankees1 saying, unfortunately, I think this is who they are. Listen, I don't blame you, man. And I told you I'm leaning that way. I really am. It's tough to feel in any way else because, like I said, you can't blame anybody for feeling this way, to have doubts, because what we've seen so far is just, it's nothing short of disgraceful. It really isn't. Next is at AliciaB103 saying, I'm voting it'll stay this way, but I hope they'll come around. Me too. <laughs> Just because I'm leaning the other way doesn't mean I want to lean that way. I definitely don't. I want to see the Yankees succeed. I love the Yankees. So, listen, it is what it is. I, I hope they come around too. I really do. Up next is at Peace Now for Life, my friend Rebecca. And Rebecca says, I have to be optimistic, Mike, and say that they will come around. Too many great hitters on this team to stay this lackluster. They will turn it around. Well, I'd expect nothing less from you, Rebecca. <laughs> I would expect nothing less than optimism. But yeah, there are too many great hitters, and that's what drives even more nuts. Because they're underachieving. It's just off the charts. All of them. Underachievers. <laughs> that's just all they are this year. And you have to imagine it ends eventually, but with what we've seen through over two months now, which is a pretty healthy sample size. It's not humongous, because, you know, we're... Still like a couple of weeks away from the halfway point, give or take, of the season. But still, it's a decent sample size. And we haven't seen much improvement whatsoever in over two months. <sighs> Up next, Laura Icemont, at Laura underscore Icemont. And Laura says, I think the offense will come around. When that'll be is yet to be determined. 
However, as Yogi Berra said, it's getting late early, so I hope it's sooner than later. Yeah, there's that quote. (laughs) I'm telling you, a lot of people are going by that quote, and it just goes to show you. It's better sooner than later because time flies, and it's getting late early out there. It's going by quick, so get it together. And that's true, and I hope it's sooner rather than later too, Laura. Next, we have my good friend Tina at MountainGal456, and Tina says, I won't be negative to say that it'll stay this way. I can't imagine that it will, but I just can't say that they'll come around too. Eventually, but eventually might be too late. I'll keep thinking positive thoughts, so I'll go with they'll come around. Yeah, it's tough to disagree with that, Tina, and I hear your thought process, and like you, I'm going back and forth too, because it sounds like that's what you're doing too. Like, maybe, you know, eventually they'll come around, but it could be too late, or they might not at all, but you're trying to think positively, but you're having your doubts. It sounds like you're doubtful, and you know what? A lot of Yankee fans are. I'm doubtful. A lot of others are doubtful, as they should be, and no one should be blaming anybody else for being doubtful, given what we've seen for over two months now, with little to no sign at all of improving. Up next is at Blue Russian 5555, and they say, I would think DJ LeMayhew would get better, and Glaber will find some more power. I would also think that Cashman is looking for another outfield bat. Yeah, we were talking about DJ and Glaber before when I was going off on my tirade. <laughs> DJ is just, listen, he's not abysmal, but he's just unbelievably underperforming. Unbelievably. Compared to what we've seen the last two years, it's in another stratosphere. And and it really shows how much the lineup suffers when he's not hitting. It really shows just how much of a catalyst he was the last two years to this lineup. And now that he's non-existent almost, you see how much it stings. It stings a lot. And Glaber, yeah, you know, again, like I said before, I'm not all about home runs. I'm not all about power. I believe in all-around hitting and putting together multiple stats to tell the whole story, not just one or a couple of them. But... When it comes to power, you also do have to look at it a bit with Glaber Torres, considering, again, this kid is a former 38 home run hitter, so he's capable of hitting home runs. And it's a little alarming, as it should be, to see that here on June 6th, the guy only has three home runs. Three! And the third one only came yesterday. Before yesterday, he only had two. So yeah, these guys, they, they, they're underachieving. As I said, they are underachieving. And Cashman looking for an outfield bat, I mean, that's got to be a given. If he's not looking for an outfield bat, you got a big problem in this organization. You got a big problem. I already think they do, but you've got an even bigger one if you're not even looking to improve this team, whether it be by month's end or at the deadline in July. And if they do nothing to try to improve this team, that is, (laughs) that's bad. (laughs) That is really, really bad. Up next is Pem LV, and they say they'll probably come out of it at some point, but it won't last. What you're seeing now is what you're going to see for pretty much the rest of the way. Unless, of course, they get a manager that motivates them. Yeah, there are just a lot of statements, as per usual, it's to be expected, because, you know, Aaron Boone is basically just the mouthpiece for the rest of the organization. I think we all know that. And it's just the same recycled BS out of him as it is throughout every tough stretch. It really is. Turning the corner, turning the page, turning the card. You know, you're just going to turn so much, it's just you're just going in circles. And then you got the, my guys are so skilled, and I believe in them. I believe they'll turn it around. And it's good that he doesn't throw his own players under the bus like a Tony La Russa, for example. But nothing ever changes. 
and things could be in the worst shape of all time. And you never expect his approach to the public to be any different in front of the media, but in front of the media, it's just the same old thing. And I don't know what he does behind closed doors. I don't know what the Yankees do behind closed doors, nor do any of us. But we know when he's in front of that camera, you're getting the same recycled BS as we do throughout every tough stretch. So hopefully it's different behind closed doors, but who the hell knows. But yeah, I'm sure, like you said, I'm sure they'll have their days where they come out of it. Maybe even some little stretches where they come out of it, like they did for those few weeks throughout most of May. But even then, it didn't happen often, and they still won a bunch of low-scoring games. But even in that case, yes, on the whole, most of the time, I think this is just what they are. I'm leaning that way. I really am. All right, time is really getting away from me here. Let's just do a couple more here on Twitter, and then we'll move on to Instagram. Next, we have... At I want a burrow owl, and they say it's almost statistically impossible to be worse than they are now. Yeah, well, let's hope so. <laughs> Up next, at NYY fan forever ninety six says I think it'll stay this way, but I hope I'm wrong. Me too, man. Me too. At Crusaders BBNY says if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. Oh, God, let's hope not. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I'm leaning that way. So I, I guess I guess that basically says you are leaning the way of it's going to stay the way we've seen, I suppose. All right, let's read one more and then we will move on to Instagram. Last but not least here on Twitter, at 2170 Whitehaven. And they say, I voted it'll stay this way because I don't know what happened. Some hitters were clearly not going to be good like Guardian Higgy, but DJ, Glaber Torres, Stanton regressing is unexpected. The ones who are hitting, like Judge and Geo, are sometimes inconsistent, and the double play numbers and the lack of power is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said, yeah, guys like Gardner, and you knew that if they played every day, they were going to get exposed, and, and they are. Guys like Gardy are. And Higashioka obviously had that really good start, but then ever since he got the massive amount of playing time, he, he really regressed. He did. And it's not that surprising to me, but because at the beginning, he did earn that more playing time, but ever since he started regressing the way he has, a, a more of a split in playing time right down the middle was warranted. And of course, we've been over it. Guys like DJ and Glaber absolutely completely regressing and just really underachieving. And Stanton, yeah, between that injury again, and who knows if he'll get hurt yet again later down the road. And with the exception of that two to three week stretch, yeah, he's regressed too. And I pray that he gets back to playing like the Superman we saw him be like for those two or three weeks. But yeah, even guys like Judge and Geo, you know, they're fine, but especially Aaron Judge, but Geo's going through a bit of a skid right now, and, and so does Judge sometimes, but that's the regular thing of the season. They go up and down. And of course, that'll be even easier to notice while the rest of the lineup is doing nothing. <laughs> but those two, for the most part, are fine. Out of the entire lineup, they're the least of my worries. And the double play numbers, yeah, it's just absolutely absurd. They're on pace to ground into like 180 double plays. I mean, it feels like they already have, <laughs> but they're on pace to legitimately do that and just shatter the ground into double play record. And yeah, even the decrease in home runs, which they're most known for, it's it's just bad. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. I too am leaning that way, though. As I said before, the way you voted that it'll stay this way on the whole. Because, you know, as I said before, every offense out there goes out there and has good days every now and again. And I'm sure that'll happen with the Yankee Bats. They'll have their good days because that's inevitable. 
especially back in a regular long season like this one. You're going to have your good days and you're going to have your bad days. But on the whole, again, I'm really leaning that way. But that is all for Twitter. Thank you all so, so much for interacting as always, voting, replying, or both, regardless. And if you want to see any of the comments that I did not get to, again, because I did not get to all of them, I never do each and every week. There are just too many and only so much time that I have, but you know I'm still appreciative regardless of whether or not I get to yours. But if you yourself want to read the rest that I did not get to, or even if you want to see them for yourself, the ones that I did get to, then just go over to my Twitter page. That's at Mike Scudero. Scroll down on my timeline. There are a bunch of tweets, so you might have to do some scrolling. (laughs) But once you find the tweet with the poll in it, just look into the comments. And they're all there for the taking. But thank you all so much on Twitter. Let's go over to Instagram and read a couple of replies there and see how all of you Instagrammers voted on the same question. Which, again, was, it's now the beginning of June. Do you believe the offense just is what we've seen at this point Or will they turn it around? And after all the voting that came in on Instagram too, it would seem that the Instagrammers and the tweeters overall are on the same page as far as the winning choice, which was, it is what we've seen. So more people than not believe that what we've seen is just how it's going to stay. And 60% of the Instagram voters voted as such, and the remaining 40% on Instagram believe that they will come around. So on the whole, both platforms, people are on the same page, as we're almost two and a half months into this season already. All right, let's read a couple of replies here, and then we will get to recapping this week. Yay. (laughs) First, we have at Carluccio921, and they say it's definitely going to come around, especially since warm weather is here, which means more outdoor reps and more practicing and perfecting with multiple resources. Well, I'm pretty sure outdoor reps have been going on for a while now, so (laughs) I'm not sure how much more that'll help or how much more there'll even be of that than there already has been. But I don't know. Since the weather is getting ridiculously warmer now, who knows? I mean, today it's almost 100 degrees outside, I think, so all the complaining I was doing a week or two ago where it suddenly got cold again, I think that was last week, at the end of May, and now it's blazing hot. And that's my kind of weather, baby. (laughs) Let's hope that's the kind of weather for the Yankees, too, to have them get something going. (laughs) Up next is my girlfriend, Vic Salimo. And Vic says, I'm finding it hard to find the right words to express how utterly disappointed and just disgusted I've been with the way the offense has been. I've been giving them the benefit of the doubt, but I'm losing hope. They've just looked so lost. Yeah, the underachieving's been off the charts, even from yours truly, DJ LeMayhuvic, who I know you love to death, but they've just been underachieving, unbelievably. And in the midst of that, a lot of the time, they have really looked very lost. They have been, you're absolutely right. All right, let's finish up, as always, saving the best for last, my amazing mother, Julia Gina Scudero, and my mom says... After what we've seen this past week, especially against Boston, and honestly for most of the season up to this point, the players are underachieving, but I believe they want to get better. And that is on them, but I do also believe that the higher-ups are preventing them from improving. Guys like Cashman and Boone, it's time for them to go. At this point, it's been an embarrassment. And hey, I hope they turn it around. But for now, so far, they look terrible and look like they have no answers. Yeah, 
It has been an embarrassment, Mom. It really has been. It's been really embarrassing. It's just, it's been degrading and humiliating to watch some of these games. And it is on the players to get better. They're grossly underachieving, and I'm sure they know that, and it's on them to improve, as well as their coaches and their mentors to help them. But also, guys who just prevent the team from improving, like Brian Cashman, who should really be looking for a move to be made right now, if they don't do that, then it falls upon them too. And how they constructed the team. It is on them too, at least a bit. It's everyone's fault, at least a little bit. And everyone needs to be held accountable. From top to bottom. Cashman included. Mr. We're gonna have the highest payroll in the sport. You can guarantee that. Meanwhile, he just watches the Dodgers sort of like a $250 million payroll. While the Yankees, thanks to the owner Hal Steinbrenner, are hell-bent about that luxury tax. So they're sitting at around 210 right now. And to this point, they've still struggled to put together a championship team. Even with a payroll of $210 million. Meanwhile, teams like the Rays, with a fraction of that payroll, look at how competitive they are. You know how infuriating that is? So yeah, guys like Brian Cashman, hold them accountable. The players, even though I'm sure they know they have to be better than the underachieving they're doing right now, hold them accountable. And Aaron Boone, even though, as I've said many times in the past, I'm pretty sure we all know at this point that he's basically just a mouthpiece for the rest of the organization. So it's tough to get very mad at him. But even with some of the things he says, like in the post game, for instance, like when they ask him about the ridiculous rate of double plays on this team, he says, well, you know, better teams are going to be grounding into double plays because that means they have more base runners and they're going to hit the ball hard and hitting the ball hard makes it easier to turn a double play. So what you're saying is that the Yankees are hitting into double plays because they're a better team? In what aspect of reality are they a better team right now? In what aspect offensively? What? Again, like I said before, some people will say, yes, they're the better team on paper. And yeah, they were. The expectations were up high. But there's a big difference between on paper and what we've gotten in reality. I already blew up about all that about 40 minutes ago. Better team. It's that stuff that drives me nuts about Aaron Boone. Just the stupid things he says. But honestly, it all roots back to the front office and the fundamental belief, the philosophy. And unfortunately, I think that as long as they think this is the proper way to run this organization, that getting rid of Aaron Boone would not do much. But yeah, of course, he's still in a managerial position, so he has to take blame too. (laughs) So yeah, long story long, Mom, I agree and I hear you. I do. I really hear what you're saying. And I hear what all of you with doubts are saying throughout all of these replies that I've read today and even the ones that I didn't get to. Trust me, there were a lot more expressing further doubt. And I can't blame any of you. And don't listen to those people, especially if you're a content creator like myself. Don't let other people make you feel bad for getting fired up about this sort of a thing. You love this team. You're passionate about this team like I am. And especially if you create content around them like I do and have the privilege to get paid to do as much then get fired up about them. Tell it like it is, and call them out for their crap. And don't let anybody make you feel bad for doing so. It doesn't make you a fake fan for recognizing the flaws in a team. It makes you a legitimate fan who's brave enough to point it out and tell it like it is. Not being overwhelmingly negative, but presenting all sides and giving all points for your argument. And if it's valid, there's nothing wrong with doing that, and don't let anybody make you feel otherwise. So with that being said, my friends, my God, we're almost 50 minutes in already. Thank you all so much for interacting with this week's poll segment, whether it was Twitter or Instagram. I love you guys so, so much for voting, replying, everything, the whole deal. 
Thank you all so much for interacting with this week's social media segment. All right, time to jump into the Yapping Yankees time machine. Recap time. Let's do it. I remember when there was a time where I used to enjoy doing this segment. Used to enjoy talking about the past week's games. (laughs) Alright, let's get going. Back to last Sunday. And if you recall, when I wrapped up last week's show, at the very end, there was yet another double play in the top of the first, and I flipped out about it. (laughs) It was the team's 51st double play at the time, and I just said... I said it right after that, watch the Tigers sweep the Yankees. Just watch them. Well, they did. And while the Yankees finally got their first two hits with runners in scoring position in the entire series, it didn't happen until the eighth inning when they were down six to nothing. The two came on an RBI single by Glaber and an RBI single by Gary, which was immediately negated by the most mind-numbing and nonsensical base running by him to end the inning inexcusable. Not even going to address it otherwise. It was so atrocious. We know how the Yankees have looked on the base paths all year. We've gone over it ad nauseum. They've simply looked like a first-year Little League team. We've beaten it to death by now. But I do want to thank Glaber for something. I really want to thank him for something. He made a fielding mistake last week, and then after that, he did something that I've been asking to see out of any Yankee for some time now when they're going through a bad stretch. Despite already knowing that they care, because, well, otherwise, why would they be playing? (laughs) But I just wanted to see, physically see, some emotion, some anger. And after that fielding mistake, Glaber went into the dugout and just lost it in between innings. Throwing crap around and just raging. (laughs) And I want to thank him for that, seriously, no joke, I want to thank him. Because it's really the first time that we've seen that kind of emotion out of anybody on the team when going through rough times. So thank you, Glaber. And we've seen some instances of anger after that too by guys like DJ, which is very surprising because he's notorious for never showing emotion, but we've seen emotion from other guys since this happened, but Glaber was really the first look at any legitimate emotion from anybody physically, so I just want to thank him for that. (laughs) And then after that, he did something that I respect even more, because after that temper tantrum, he then went to the plate and got that RBI single. That's how you do it. But anyways, yeah, the Yankees still lost 6-2. King went two and a third, allowing four runs, two earned. Nestor Cortez Jr., who, as I said last week, was just brought up that day, pitched three and two thirds, allowing two runs, one earned. And Nelson, who was also brought up that day, actually, believe it or not, pitched two scoreless innings. But again, Tigers complete the sweep, again sweeping the Yanks for the first time in Detroit since 2000, putting an end to what was nothing short of an utterly embarrassing weekend. Monday, Memorial Day, the Yanks return home to start, as I called last week, A potentially pivotal week, starting with a four-game series against the Rays. A really important week, especially coming out of a shameful weekend. Four against them, and then three against Boston, which is obviously still going on right now. 
And I guess us fans were the only ones to get the memo, because the Yankees went right out there, kind of, and absolutely sucked all over again. Only one run scored on Monday on a solo shot by Miggy, and that's it. Five hits the entire game, and the offensive woes even took to the field. For example, Glaber made another error on a routine ground ball, threw the ball completely away, third error in two games at the time, and they just looked completely stiff and lifeless. Against Rich Hill again too, giving them 87 and 88 straight as a string down the pipe, and they couldn't do a damn thing. Totally lost at the plate. Tyone started the game, and he started out looking fantastic. I did like how his stuff was moving, but it got worse as the start progressed. And despite taking his start into the sixth inning and striking out five, and having no run support whatsoever, he allowed three runs, five hits, and walked three guys. So just not the best. And he even made a comment after the game, saying that he wished he could pitch with a lead. And in hindsight right now, that's really funny because of yesterday, but... (laughs) To me, that was originally... This was how I took it at the time, but originally, I took that as a dig at how pathetic the offense had been. And, you know what? And even if it wasn't a dig, you know something? He wasn't wrong! And people went on to say that he can't really go after the bats if it was a dig at them, which I'm not so sure it was anymore, but at the time, I took it as one, But and apparently so did everybody else. But everybody was saying he can't really go after the bats as he had a 5 ERA, and you know something else? That's also true. He needs to do better himself. And he knows that. He said as much on Twitter later in the day. So, why can't both be true? Because, again, the offense did stink and deserve to have a dig thrown their way, which, again, is what I took it as originally, and it's warranted. And I'm also sure that he would be speaking for most of, if not all of the Yankee pitchers, especially someone like Garrett Cole, if you ask me. But also, he himself needs to do better. Both can be true, guys. But in any event, the whole thing, regardless, was just a clown show. And the only good thing about the game, really, as it has been for the whole year, basically, to this point, was the bullpen. Easily the main strength of this team to this point, and we've talked about that before, and it still holds true. Litke, who's been just fantastic, two scoreless innings, Peralta a scoreless eighth, and Sessa a scoreless ninth, but again... The Yanks lose a really bad game yet again to open up the four-game set, quietly going into the night, 3-2-1. Tuesday, it went without saying that (laughs) the Yanks needed to win this game. It may have only been June 1st, but in an important game against the Rays, an important week overall, four-game losing streak, coming into the game having lost six of their previous seven games, They needed a win against Tyler Glass now, of all people. And although there was plenty of aggravation throughout the game, in the end, we got a thrilling victory. We did. Glass now against Herman, and both gave up three runs. Herman went five, giving up a first-inning two-run shot to a red-hot Austin Meadows, and then a game-tying solo shot to Kiermaier shortly after the bats had given him the lead. So, two more home runs. As his home run woes continue, that's 11 now already on the season, but otherwise only gave up three hits total and struck out five. 
And Glasnow went seven innings, gave up four hits, gave up a bases-loaded walk to Judge, had another run score on a wild pitch, and then gave up a solo shot to Miggy. But still struck out eight. So it was a 3-3 tie, and it would remain that way all the way until the Yanks walked it off in the 11th and won 5-3. And for all that time in between, the six innings the bullpen had to cover, well, as always, they were phenomenal. Didn't even give up a hit. Peralta got one out, but also walked two guys, so Loisica came in after to pitch an inning and two-thirds scoreless. Chad pitched a scoreless eighth. Chapman, a beautiful scoreless ninth. And even during Manfred League Baseball, beautiful performances. Litke, a scoreless tenth, even after pitching two innings the night prior. And Luis Sessa, a scoreless eleventh. The Yanks didn't score in the bottom of the tenth, mainly because of humongous strikeouts by Gio and Gary. Gio was really struggling a lot, but had a couple of beautiful plays in the field that day. And he did also break an 0 for 17 at the plate, I think it was. 0 for 17. I did mention before that even if Gio has been one of the best hitters on the team alongside Judge, that even he's been in a skid lately too, and this was part of it. But I think that night he did break, I think it was an 0 for 17. And Gary, (laughs) the other strikeout, just had a brutal night. And again, I just have nothing else to say about him anymore that hasn't already been said. But then, to cap off the much-needed win in the bottom of the 11th, after he made a crazy catch and right a couple of innings prior to keep the tie, Clint Frazier, who as we know, and as I've really highlighted, has been nothing short of miserable this year, (laughs) just massively underachieving, he hit a walk-off two-run shot to win the game for the Yanks, 5-3. So the pitching remained incredible all around, and Clint finally did something big and gave the Yankees a win that they sorely, sorely needed. And after the game, listen, I don't root for anyone, anyone, to have bad things happen to them, like a demotion, or I don't like to kick them when they're down, I guess I should say. And I've got nothing against the guy personally, but... My God, he had no right being on this roster. It's not even a debate. So I was really happy to see this, and it had been a long time coming. Let's be real here. But the Yanks announced that they finally optioned Mike Ford back down to AAA. And in exchange for his roster spot, they called Brooks Krisky back up to help out with the pen, because lots of guys pitched on Tuesday. So Wednesday. Wednesday was the day that If you remember, when it was announced months ago that it would be a thing, I was ecstatic about it and felt that it had been long overdue, and I still feel that way, but it was the first of a great day. Remembering one of the greatest, not only Yankee players, but players overall in history. A guy who carried himself with unmatched class, dedication, and honor. One of my personal favorites ever, and that is Lou Gehrig, as Wednesday was the first annual Lou Gehrig Day. And like I said months ago, it's so important, not only in an effort to honor and commemorate the life and remarkable career of Lou Gehrig himself, both of which were tragically cut short by ALS, the famous disease named after him, but also in recognition of the awful disease itself as 
the medical community still continues to search for a cure for it after so many years. And it's important to raise awareness about it. It's such a terrible disease. It eats away at your muscles, your cells, as you basically slowly and painfully deteriorate, as Lou did, tragically. And even through it, he still tried to play until he literally, physically could not anymore. In his final season in 1939, ending his iconic consecutive games played streak that resulted in his immortal nickname, the Iron Horse. And really quick, just let that sink in. Trying to play through that disease. They just don't make athletes like that anymore, guys. They really don't. They don't make them like that anymore. I mean, I've just spoken so much about Lou on this show, especially when they announced a couple of months ago that they'd finally be doing this on June 2nd of every year. And I just can't say enough about the guy. I could just keep on going and going like I have in the past. So, Wednesday was Lou Gehrig Day. I posted a bunch about it, as many of you probably saw on social media, and I couldn't be happier to do it and just watch the day take place. It was just great. You know what else is great, even though it ended up being a damn nail-biter in the end with Chapman, (laughs) was the game. Montgomery started, and he did a solid job. Six and a third, three runs allowed, but only one earned. The third one scored with Luazica pitching after he was taken out, and that runner that scored was left on by Monty, so it was his responsibility. But he reached base on an error by Monty himself, so the run was unearned. (laughs) Anyways, three runs, only one earned, five hits, six strikeouts, kept the Rays at bay. Good start by Montgomery. Third win of the year, and his ERA has now dropped into the threes. 392, to be exact. After him, as I mentioned before, Loisaga came in and got those last two outs to finish the seventh inning. Chad pitched a scoreless eighth, and Chap in the ninth, as I said, he's the one that usually sweats profusely, but so were we the fans on Wednesday. (laughs) He walked the first two guys, the fastball was just wild, it was all over the place, the velocity wasn't there, but then after that, he found it. The fastball was located better, back into the triple digits, struck out a Rosarena, long at bat against Choi, but struck him out, and then got Meadows to ground out to end the game. So a great turnaround for him. He definitely earned that save. (laughs) Offensively, despite some more nauseating base running in that seventh inning, because when doesn't it happen? (laughs) But Gio Rochella scored the first two runs in the bottom of the first, two-run Apo Taco, And the other two came on a two-run single by Clint, after his great night on Tuesday, no less. Yanks win 4-3 on Lou Gehrig Day. Love it. Didn't love Thursday, though. In fact, I hated its freaking guts. (laughs) Final game of the four-game set between the Yankees and the Rays. Looking to take a big series against the Rays before the Red Sox come in if you're the Yankees. King Cole on the mound. Think it's safe to say there was plenty of optimism about the game. But there was something else, two things actually, that had people feeling even more optimistic. Two pieces of news, and they really came as a big surprise to everybody, including myself, because for both of them, we didn't expect optimistic news like this when it comes to both of their injuries. And of course, I speak of Corey Kluber and Luke Voigt. And we'll hammer out Luke Voigt first, save my boy for last, Corey Kluber, but for Luke Voigt... 
I mean, you remember it was announced that he had a grade two oblique strain. Now, the typical healing time for that, the typical recovery time is six to eight weeks. And that's quite a bit because a grade two oblique strain, you never want to hurt the oblique in the first place. It's just really something you don't want to injure. But especially a grade two strain, that's quite a bit of recovery time. And he only injured it maybe a week and a half or two ago. And here we are now with Aaron Boone on Thursday saying that it's a possibility that we could get Luke Voigt back by the end of June. How's that possible? (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm happy because, you know, I'd like to have Luke Voigt back. I love having his energy around and when he's playing healthy, that bat is important. But how is that possible? I even put that on Twitter. I'm like, did I miss something here? Isn't an oblique strain like six to eight weeks of recovery time? I was just really confused by that, but I don't know. Who knows who to trust when it comes to the Yankees and injury news because we know how much crap they've gotten wrong. But I guess they made it sound like that he's ahead of schedule and they've shown footage of him doing sprints already and they said soon he's going to also be starting up dry swinging. So I guess he's making progress, but just with a grade two, I still just thought good progress or not that you're going to be out at least a month and a half or two. And I think it's safe to say that none of us were expecting him back until around the All-Star break. And now they're saying the end of June. (laughs) So I guess he's ahead of schedule. We'll see how his recovery continues to go. But this is pretty good news on the Luke Voigt front, I guess. And then also, and this came as an even bigger surprise, not only because of how massive of a supporter you guys all know I am of his, but there was additional news also about Corey Kluber. And this really caught me off guard because after just a week ago, you remember, the world was told that he won't be even picking up a baseball for a whole month. We spoke about all this, but it turns out the Yanks actually sent him for a second and third opinion. And I guess it went extremely well because now he's starting a flat ground program soon and he's already playing catch and feeling great. (laughs) After only about a week and a half or two after that diagnosis of the strain in his rotator cuff, being told to not pick up a baseball for a whole month, now he's already catching and starting to throw from flat ground after only a week and a half or two. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I couldn't be happier about news like this about Kluber. But it was just, I mean, pun intended, out of left field. And I pray these other opinions are accurate and that no issues linger on because... I mean, getting Corey Kluber back this much earlier, although it had me feeling weird because of the sudden turn of events, (laughs) it would obviously be freaking awesome. We've spoken about how good Kluber was before this injury, no hitter aside. And if you include that, he's been great. Getting him back would be massive. So let's see how these throwing programs go. Fingers crossed, my friends. But that's where the optimism would end for the day. Because the game was utter horse crap. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. The offense didn't score with runners in scoring position again, yes. Cole didn't necessarily have his best. The fastball command was definitely off, yes. His line, five innings, five hits, five runs, seven strikeouts. But hang on just one little second. Because it seriously was not all his fault. And they deserve to be called out. Yet again. I feel like I've lost my mind over them 80,000 times on this show, and maybe triple that in my lifetime as a fan. But once again, the umpires. 
literally changed the course of this entire game. Spin it however you want, but this is just factual. All day, all day, he gave ridiculous outside strike calls to raise pitcher Yarbrough and not to Cole. And Cole's pitches were even closer to the corner. Cole had two walks. Both of them were on pitches a hair, a hair off the corner, not called. But Yarbrough has won a foot off the plate, and it gets called. Like I said last week, I don't seek perfection from these guys. I seek consistency. So all of that gave the Rays extra and key base runners, ultimately, and also took the bat out of Yankee hitters' hands, like Clint, when he saw five out of six pitches way out of the strike zone and was still called out on strikes. The umping behind the plate was an embarrassment, and it was the key issue here. And there was also a call on Kiermaier running down to first, avoiding a tag by DJ, and it looked like he went out of his base path. It wasn't called. He was called safe. And, I mean, he really seemed out of his base path to me, guys. Way out. I mean, it was a pretty controversial call. Some people were saying the call was correct. Others said it was crap. The whole thing's a mess. (laughs) So regardless, again, more outs that Cole was forced to get. He had to get five outs in that fifth inning, if you ask me. So my point is, the umps changed the course of the game. Could Cole have still pitched around it? Yeah, of course he could have. And it's disappointing that he didn't. Especially on a day that the bullpen was gassed from high usage. But the umps really screwed the pooch on this one in big moments. No getting around that. And when they did all their damage, the Rays found themselves with a 5-1 to lead, and Cole had his ERA jump from 178 to 226. I mean, if you ask me, the only legit run he gave up was the shot to Meadows, which should have been a solo shot too, actually, because again, he didn't get a key call before that. So it was a two-run shot instead. And then in the fifth, when the wheels just came off, the umpires just altered that entire inning between that remarkably inconsistent strike zone and that controversial base running call too, but especially the strike zone. Completely unacceptable. Such inconsistency behind the plate, especially in huge potential scoring moments like the Clint at bat. Disgraceful. Way to screw the pooch, umps. Well, you're used to it. I imagine it's like breathing for you. And where was Boone to blow a gasket about all this? He was doing nothing until he finally lost it when the game was already out of reach. Little late there, buddy. Anyways, after Cole, Nelson came in and what a shocker, he still sucks. Gave up four more runs. Then Sessa and Krisky ate up the rest of the innings. Rays scored nine. The Yanks scored two on a Gardner solo shot. And Gardy actually had himself a good day, going two for three with that homer and a double. And then Andujar also hit a solo shot. Yanks lost 9-2, series split. So, after that awesome series streak the Yanks had before the Blue Jays last week, the Yanks were now 0-2-1 in their last three series. No wins, two losses, one being a sweep by Detroit, and a split here with the Rays. Garrett Cole, not his best stuff. And as per usual, especially in his starts, where was the offense? Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Getting absolutely owned by Yarbrough as usual. Complete game for him on a team whose last complete game was five freaking years ago. 
Uh, All right. Anyway, Friday began a very important series for the Yanks. Obviously, one that we're still in the middle of, of course. The Red Sox. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. I can't remember a season where it took this long into the schedule to see Boston even once. It's pretty wild. I really can't remember another season where it took this long to see them. I mean, it could be my memory being horrendous again, but nothing I can do about that. You know what else I can't do anything about? The Yankee offense, starting the series off still looking like a complete joke. The game got off to a bad start right away when Devers hit a three-run homer to another galaxy off Michael King, who then actually settled down completely after that and pitched into the sixth inning. And he even pitched an immaculate nine-pitch fourth, striking out the side. Only the seventh Yankee to pitch an immaculate inning. It's very hard to do. If only I cared, given the circumstances. But anyway, in that sixth inning, with one out, he gave up a hit, and then he was taken out. And unfortunately, on a two-run double given up by Litke after, who's been, again, fantastic, that run scored, and it was charged to King. And the second to Litke, obviously. Who did well after that, otherwise. But King's final line, five and a third, four runs, six hits, five strikeouts, And he really did nicely, and he settled in after that first inning home run. Despite how infuriating it was with the way they pitched to Devers in that inning. But he settled in after that. So then, as I said before, Litke pitched. And then after him, Nestor Cortez Jr. pitched scoreless 8th and ninth innings. All the while, again, I feel like a broken freaking record. The bats, humiliating. Again. Only scored two runs on a solo shot by Judge when they were down five to nothing, and then another on a throwing error on an Odor ground ball to first in the seventh. Other than that, bunch of strikeouts, more double plays and big moments. Gee whiz, Batman, who the hell saw that one coming? Completely pathetic yet again, and made even more embarrassing having it happen against the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. And you want to know something else? I honestly didn't even have one single reaction in this game. Not one. I have never been in my life so bored in a Yankees and Red Sox game. Ever. Thanks for that, Yankees. Again, they lost 5-2. to two. And after the game, they optioned Nick Nelson back to AAA. And then yesterday morning, they actually did something smart. Someone pinch me. <laughs> they finally called up first base prospect Chris Giddens. And to add him to the 40-man, they did exactly what I said they should do days ago. They put Corey Kluber on the 60-day IL as he takes his time to recover and work his way back. So that opened up a spot on the 40-man roster. And I don't even care if it doesn't work out with Giddens, guys. They need to change something up and bring someone up here who's having a great year like Giddens had with AAA. Someone who could even possibly provide any sort of production at first base. And honestly, overall, too, which, as we know, in both cases, the Yanks have remarkably lacked in this year. So why not? They've got nothing to lose at this point by trying it. Because Lord knows, this team is starving more and more for runs as the days pass by. And that would continue yesterday, on Saturday. Because the Yankees scored just three. And all of them were because of Glaber. On a two-run shot, as I said earlier in the show, just his third on the year... And then a sacrifice fly, which the Yankees have done none of this year. That's it. So, again, 
more double plays, plenty of striking out, and more nothingness outside of Glaber Torres. His two-run shot put the Yanks in the lead 2-0 when Tyone, with a bit of help from his defense, was actually pitching really well at the time. So Tyone had a lead, which if you remember from me mentioning earlier in the show, he said that he would love to pitch with one. Yeah, you would? It's kind of hard to tell because he came back out in the sixth after he got that lead and gave the Red Sox a 3-2 lead. Pitching with the lead, huh? Hate to break it to you, but he did that in Cleveland too earlier in the year when they were up 3 to nothing. Hmm. But then Glaber's sack fly tied it at 3 a bit after that. And then, the 8th inning. Chad Green obviously has been really, really solid this year, as has the rest of the bullpen. And I guess he was due for an implosion at some point, because that's what happened. He gave up four damn runs. <laughs> you thought the Yankees were going to win? <laughs> at that point. Yanks would lose by that score. And now, today, they risk getting swept at home. Already lost another series, though. Make that 0-3-1 in their last four. No wins. Three series losses now and one split. And they've now lost nine of their last 12 games. Five and a half out of first. I know it's still a bit early to look at standings, but in case you're curious... And if you're wondering if I have much faith in things being any different tonight, well, just like I've said about most of this past week's games throughout the week, no. No, I don't. But let's hope I'm wrong. So speaking of tonight's game, I'm going to be releasing this episode after the game's over later tonight. It's still like early in the afternoon as I'm recording this now. It's just before one o'clock. So I'll edit this up and then I'll have it out to you once the game ends. And if they lose again... Well, won't that make everything I've said today hit home even harder? But for this coming week, as far as what's ahead, tomorrow they have an off day. Thank Christ. (laughs) Back to being thankful for off days, just like back in April. Tuesday, they head to Minnesota for a three-game set against the god-awful Twins. Let's see if maybe they can remember how to hit a damn ball against them. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all games will be at 8-10 Eastern. Friday... Very weird day to have an off day, but they have an off day on Friday. Because over the weekend, they have a quick two-game set interleague matchup against the Phillies in Philadelphia, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday's game will be at 4.05 Eastern. And Sunday, when we meet again for our special 100th episode, that game will be at 1.05 Eastern. But as for now, guys... That is all for episode 99 of Yapping Yankees today. Follow me on all socials, guys, so you can keep up on the latest having to do with me, the Yankees, and Yapping Yankees announcements, content, and Twitter and Instagram social media segments every Saturday. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero and Y. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at MikeScuds97. Also, guys, subscribe to the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel and also show some love to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're at it, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you might have missed. Episodes 34 up to episode 99 today are available on YouTube and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, 
Thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, June 13th, when I come at you with the Century Landmark episode, episode 100 of Yapping Yankees. Be there for it. Don't underachieve like the Yankees. But until then, guys, hang in there. Be patient. Please stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. And Yanks, I don't got much for you this week. You've beaten me to such an emotional pulp. Just go out there and win some damn games. Enjoy your week, my friends, and take care. (laughs) 